0: Hello and welcome to Dobby, the podcast and drugs, addiction and dumb shit. And this is Ishmael. I, uh, I wasn't, this is the second time I've been on a show and I heard and face that some people didn't believe that was me on uh, the first time. No, it was me. Really. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's me.
1: About drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. Uh, and I'm Dave, and I'm very excited. We have a very exciting guest, uh, not in the way that I usually kind of march out some half baked celebrity bullshit, but today we have a true, honest to goodness friend of the show. Uh, it was Chris's sponsor, it was my friend, Chris's friend, Dylan Woods. Welcome to the show. Hey, Dave. Good to be here. Well, you're not actually here. He's on the phone. He's someplace in Connecticut, and I'm someplace on Long Island, huh? Massachusetts.
2: Massachusetts.
1: Why did I say Connecticut? I get every. I, I said his name wrong, and now I said he's in fucking <laughs> Connecticut. It's because you met Chris in Connecticut, right? That's true. That's true. And yes. before we get started, I'm going to do the ads. I never do the ads with anyone on the phone, but I figured Dylan can pop in if he wants to say anything about these products that we get to advertise and the first ad is from our friend Bob Forrest and I want to say that Dopey is brought to you by Aloe Recovery Center located in sunny Southern California in Silver Lake and in Malibu Allo is an amazing place for addicts to go who need to get help. They um, have a staff of combined 675 years of experience treating addiction. Isn't that a lot? That's crazy. It's amazing. They have a multidisciplinary care team with a psychiatrist, master's, and doctoral-level therapists to treat co-occurring and underlying mental health problems, a.k.a. dual diagnosis. You with me here? Yeah, man. They use state of the art pharmacology for their detox services, making their clients as comfortable as possible. And that was very important to me when I was all uh, strung out on dope to be as as medicated as possible when I got to a place, right? Get help. Yeah, thank you. Um, And they have these sick amenities, including surfing, horseback riding, uh, your sponsor's favorite sweat lodges, and the great sound bath meditations do do you know what a sound bath meditation is? I do, man. Can you please explain it to me?
3: It's like, it can be done any number of ways, so it's like, actually, right before you called me, I was up in my, like, little meditation room listening to, uh, to samurai trap music, which is super similar to sound bath, in that you have, like, a lot of those kind of ancient asian sounds that like reverberate and the sound is not supposed to be it like, truly is super healing and calming and like an awesome meditation support
1: samurai awesome. trap music is this a real thing dude i discovered this
3: the other night i was me and this kid we're going through youtube we found like samurai trap jihad trap um Indian trap, Mumbai trap. Dude, basically any culture of all time now has its own trap thanks to globalization. Wow. And it's just incredible. I fucking love, it. I
1: so love what, it. And and it gives you the same impact of sound bath meditation you're saying.
3: Well I say I mean a practice sound bell. Met practitioner might argue with that, but I think so, yeah. I think it does. There's like I think it has to do with intention and then some type of environment and community and yeah, dude, sound bath is awesome. Like gong baths also I've done those where just like you're surrounded by these gongs. Amazing and, you know, a bunch of people like hitting the gong. Yeah, it's really cool.
1: Well anyway, the the, mo- the most important thing to know about aloe is that they treat their clients with respect, which as a clinician, you know that's the most important thing, right? Yeah, man. fucking aloe like what Bob Forrest told me was that he went to a million treatment centers and he was never treated the way he would have liked to have been treated so him and his buddy Evan and their buddy Bob got their shit together and created their own treatment where they treat people really well and uh, I have a friend who's over there and he said uh, they treated him really good he said my ads were very legitimate so I feel good about that Hell yeah Yeah And then Even even more excitingly Our new sponsor Now if you were going to sponsor um, A show about drug addiction What would you be? Like, like what, what would do you, I be? Yeah, what do you think the most obvious sponsor For drug addicts in recovery is?
3: Drug accident, red
1: bull, monster? No, I don't have money like that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop you. I'm gonna stop you right now. It's a uh, coffee, just coffee. Ah, uh, fair. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the fair. old old school version of monster. It's coffee.
2: It's true. It's
1: um, my drug of choice. There you go. You know, I just—it's nine thirty-eight at night, and I just had a cup of coffee, which I never do before I do dopey. But I wanted to really bring it for you, Dylan. So, so I had a cup of Just Coffee, which was delicious. I like the dark roast, just so you know. Just Coffee Cooperative is a worker-owned coffee roaster dedicated to creating and expanding a model of trade based on transparency, human dignity, and environmental sustainability. They build long-term relationships with small-scale coffee growers to bring you a truly incredible cup of coffee. They, they practice justice from the grounds up, get it? Because it's oh, fun, dude, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a delicious pun. Um, their website is justcoffee.com. I'm sorry, justcoffee.coop. Uh, and if you enter the coupon code DopeyPod or justcoffee.coop/slash/discount/slash/DopeyPod, you can get thirty percent off of all your coffee. Now, if you're a big fucking coffee drinker and a big Dopey fan. You should do this You should go to Justcoffee.coop Slash discount Slash DopeyPod Because Just Coffee uh, Sponsors the show So support them And drink coffee And their coffee's really good Done. Just so you know I believe in them They sent me They sent me some nice coffee And uh Maybe if you come to Long Island I'll give you a cup of coffee
0: I should man
1: Yeah it'd be great But anyway Those are the ads Isn't that impressive dear
3: Honestly, like, no, I'm not kidding. That's super impressive. Good to
2: you.
1: Thank you. Um, yeah. I want to say, you know, Chris and I recorded Dopey for almost three years before he overdosed. And, and anybody who's not uh, familiar, you know, there's people that listen to the show that never heard Chris on the show now, yeah. uh, which is just weird. But I, I just want to bring everybody up to speed on what the hell this is, which is I met Chris in rehab and um, years later we decided to do a podcast podcast about the dumbest things we did using which became kind of a podcast about recovery um and we did it for years and uh, and chris had a you know chris was sober for a little bit longer than i was he was uh i think he almost had he had just about four years when he wound up relapsing and overdosing and um and i met dylan on the phone and i heard so many things about you um it just chokes me up to even talk about it that um That like I always wanted to get you on the show I don't know why you didn't come on the show When Chris was alive though You came once I did a little bit Yeah I called in once You called in once But I wonder Like did you not want to do the show Or do you think Chris Didn't want to have you on the show Because he felt like You'd dwarf his His drug stories What do you think it was (laughs) No
3: not at all I don't know man I think like So he did I know he was proud of it For sure And I know he really loved it He never like Tried to pull anyone Onto it though Ever Not me at least Um, And I don't even Really remember him Talking about it Too much up here Although at the same time If he did talk about it He was super pumped on it
1: The funniest Uh, thing About Chris with Dopey Was that I would I would tell people That Dopey was gonna get big And I would talk about it But I would never Tell anyone to listen to it I would say Don't listen to it And Chris would Would like get his family To listen to it he would get everyone in Great Barrington to write reviews in the beginning. Like he was obsessed <laughs> with getting reviews, you know. Um, and what he always said about you was. Uh, What he always said was he couldn't respect anybody that didn't have his kind of like crazy story when it came to using, which was that he was like a terrible alcoholic, plus he was addicted to heroin, plus he had IV coke. And uh, he wouldn't respect anybody in recovery that didn't have those things. And then you came along and you had all those things. Yeah, that was my... Then,
3: so, I mean, thankfully, he matured out of that, like, opinion Of kind of only listening to people with a equal or worse story than his But, no, for sure, man, when we first met, we, like I absolutely kind of, I heard him speaking And I was like, that guy, I'm going to sponsor that guy I love that guy, he's fucking crazy
1: Well, tell uh, me, where, where did you, where, where, what what was the origin of you meeting Chris? So, I remember, I think it was probably, like, 2011
3: and I'm in a meeting And some like Another kind of th- This typical looking Boston kid Like you always said Um He's sharing a story and I remember I came in late So I kind of like I'm, I'm sitting there As he's starting up And uh And like 10 minutes in His story's like Getting pretty wild And I'm like Getting very intrigued And he starts talking about Like and then I turned 23 After he like Broke his neck And escaped the prison And then went to <laughs> prison, yeah. And then was like Doing It was I love the variations Of it too Or like The, the huge Bandwidth in which he traveled, there'd be like these times in like a trailer park in Southern California, but then at the same time, he's also having private yoga teachers in like whatever the equivalence of Aloe is, you know? Yeah. So there's like, he was just so well traveled and well versed in the entire thing. And I wasn't nearly as well versed in like the treatment side of things as he was. But I think both of us love to kind of fuck around with uh, with the depravity of our of our lives, you know, and we had both like established kind of a footing so
1: so when, when you you heard him speak in Great Barrington someplace at a meeting, he was like the speaker.
3: Yeah, I heard him speak in Northwest Connecticut, actually So okay. he was in like an extended care program down there or something, and I heard him speak.
1: And, and like then did somebody introduce you? Did he go up to you? Did you go up to him? like what was the story? I think I went up to him And he was also So there was this little pack Of like Of these
3: Early mid-twenties guys Kind of forming And it was like You know Like Colin Ryan all of them were kind of like congealing as a unit. And so Ted, it was Ted, and Ted, oh yeah, got yeah, it, of course, Ted. yeah.
1: Because I, I had met Chris just you know I got into that mountainside like I'd say two weeks before Colin got there. So like I left, oh, wow. you know. So like it was just funny because I dropped out of there and then Chris and Colin and and Ted and Alex. And that guy, Andrew, were all just, like, doing that phase four, and then they moved into the sober living, and then, like, they were, were, like, you know, because I don't think Chris really had so many close friends before that. I think, like, that was this amazing brotherhood for him, you know? Like, I think it really changed his life.
3: It absolutely did, especially, so that... I think it was, so Colin and Ted had to wait for Chris to leave that program before the three of them could get a house. And that was hinging, I'm pretty sure if I remember, like on Chris's parents, okay, that like Ted and Colin were safe enough to move in with. I mean, they'd seen such like, such failures. So right. um, then the three of them moved in together. And that was like, just this, that's about when I started sponsoring him. So probably like his like eight to 10 months period.
1: The funniest thing about that is that Chris had been at Mountainside for like six months And Colin and Ted had been there for like six weeks And they're still waiting for him to get out
3: I know, I know, I know Well, there, there there was no time limit too long for that kid
1: So how did you tell him about your own story? How much time do you have now, Dylan, by the way?
3: I'm December oh seven sober, so eleven and something?
1: Wow, so eleven and eleven years and you're my age, right? I'm forty. Oh, so yeah. you're younger than me. So you got sober when you were twenty nine?
3: Yeah.
1: And um and did you were you somebody who relapsed a lot or no?
3: Yeah, my well my entire twenties was like was basically just, like, going into detox, doing okay for a second, trying out a different drug or a different method to try to drink safely, failing, starting a business, losing everything, building it back up, buying a house, losing that, that kind of stuff. It was just, like, erratic movements up and down. My whole 20s was that, yeah. I could never string any recovery together.
1: Well, I'm I'm, I'm very satisfied hearing about how you met Chris because I never heard that little bit. But I would love to hear a little bit about your early story with drugs. Like, how did it start for you? How did it escalate? What was the? Give me the Dylan Wood story, a little bit. For, okay. If you don't um, mind. Yeah, no problem, dude.
3: I, so I grew up on Cape Cod, way out eastern Massachusetts. So, like, what I would consider—I mean, it was certainly like not the perfect childhood. We weren't like not the. Well, it was a pretty stable
1: family. In case my mom listens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Do you, but, does your mom listen? Life. Does your mom listen to Dopey though?
3: I think she probably did
2: to a few
1: She's like, I like cereal I like This American Life I like Wait, Wait, yeah, Don't Tell funny. Me And I like Dopey
3: Dude, I got my therapist hooked on Dopey Oh
1: um, my god, that's funny
3: So anyway, I grew up in this like, I have nothing to hang my My early, early alcoholism on other than like the whole typical dude, I just felt like uncomfortable and then when I drank I felt like this perfect union with the universe and with my peers and my family and everything is perfect but that would wear off so I drink more. And then at like sixteen or so I started like getting brought home by the paramedics and alcohol poisoning and that kind of stuff. Right. Um I suppose if so the 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 abridged version is like so my summer of between junior and senior year I got this car accident. Um, where I was driving to my buddy's house, and this kid ran out in front of it, and then I hit him with the car, and he died.
1: Oh my god!
3: Yeah. So,
1: um, how old were you when that happened?
2: Sixteen.
1: Oh my god! So yeah. you were sixteen, and you were drunk.
3: No, nope, I wasn't. Oh my god! I was sorry. It's just like the most unfortunate event, and I knew the family,
2: and they were like close friends of my friend who lived on that street. Holy cow! Did you know the um, guy? How old
1: was the guy who died?
3: Eleven. Oh my yeah. god! It's the most tragic.
1: That's the. It was, oh my god! I'm so sorry that happened. Oh my. Yeah, god. dude.
3: So, I mean, that's not like that's. I know there's a big trend right now of trauma being the origin of, of addiction and alcoholism, and I do think there's some merit to that, but I have. I have like A pre-established Track record Of Misusing
0: Every substance That I could get my hands on
1: Right So it might Or might, it might have Or might not Have happened Without this terrible trauma But it couldn't have helped, It couldn't have Helped anything Right No
3: no I think if If, what it, if it did anything the, I think the most impact It had is Whenever I would Wind up in front of somebody That was trying to help That I would admit I would like Immediately Neuter Whatever they had to say With like You don't understand How I feel You don't understand What's happening in my life If you were me You'd drink every day too Like just, just Pretty much saying Fuck it Constantly
1: How long did that last for After the accident
3: Until Well I mean I I'm Probably like Mid-twenties I think
1: And like And when did you discover Drugs in the whole thing So that I mean it was like Weed and alcohol in mushrooms and stuff through through high school, and
3: then right after high school, I actually ended up. So my senior year, I just couldn't even. I couldn't deal with with like sitting in class or high school. I don't know what was going on with me. Um, I mean, I do. I was suffering from like major trauma. And stuff
1: yeah, yeah. I but, mean, by the way, what, what, what did the f- did the family of the of the kids say anything to you? Like, what did they say? How did they treat you? Like, what happened?
3: Pretty terribly To which I do not blame them at all So there was like this There was a lawsuit um, Talking about like That because I had a reputation Of like drinking a lot And doing a lot of drugs That I should never have been able to borrow my parents' car
1: Right, they assumed you you were impaired When you were driving
3: They did and they didn't I think it was more about like Just the origin of them like letting me use the car So I shouldn't I was so irresponsible that I wasn't even I, was, I shouldn't have been Capable of driving a car Basically Even if I was sober I was such a mess It's kind of like what the, what the lawsuit said What the lawsuit said Yeah so that was like Brutal And it kind of Took our time I grew up in a small town So there was like Some people That knew that family better And they were Kind of testifying On that side Dude it was awful Horrific Right Did they stay in the town they were So the case Similar to Long Island Is like a majority Summer people Which they were So
1: Wow So they went yeah. Oh my god That's so crazy
3: I mean it's just Horrible for everyone I don't blame them For any reaction They might have had You know Like of course dude
1: I don't know how I never heard this story Before
3: yeah, I don't talk about it often, except when I'm on a fucking publicly yeah. broadcast
1: podcast. Yeah. Um, when you're on a gigantic recovery podcast, you have to bring out all the one. all the terrible things in your life. Um, uh, but Dylan, I feel for you, man. Like, that, I mean, like, and I and like, I don't know, like, if I, I don't think, I don't know of any trauma I had in my life, and I wound up on heroin when I was 24. Um, you know, like your story makes a lot more sense than mine does. I have to say,
3: um, how did you stumble? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's so tempting to want to do that, isn't it? To like make a clean kind of draw a line between something that happened and my behavior later on. Which I like, get. Yeah, there's definitely something there, but
1: right, I hear you. How did you? So when did you? You were just looking to get fucking wasted then, all yeah,
3: forever. After so yeah, I mean, I just like dropped everything. Dropped out of college. Dropped out of my college. Dropped out of high school. Um, and just drove west With like a pound of mushrooms And a pound of weed With this kid I kind of talked into it And we ended up I think we were headed for Denver But we kind of wound up Like Meeting some girls in Minnesota And we stayed there for a while um, And then finally We made it to Denver And then ultimately to Vail Where I lived for a couple of years And that was just like that was like DUIs and fights, and like I'm not a violent dude. And the last I would just do stupid shit when I'm drunk, you know. So there's a lot of like.
1: Were you one of those kind of ski bums, like getting fucked yeah. up on the mountain kind of thing? Absolutely. That was what Todd's deal was. Todd moved out to Breckenridge one summer, and he just did that the whole summer.
3: Yeah, it's not a bad deal, man.
1: No, it sounded great. You know, anyway. No, continue. It'd
3: be, it'd be great. <laughs> well, it kind of was great. Right? I mean, it was like it was probably the height of my pure alcoholism cocaine was like way too expensive so we do that like rarely but basically it was just drinking into a blackout every night smoking weed all day right which is like you know in retrospect a lot less damaging than what would happen in the future but you know it was a lot of fun but also i can remember towards the end of that stint and starting to have like withdrawal symptoms from alcohol and just having like the most insane panic attacks and anxiety And living in, like, a two-bedroom place with, like, six dudes And my house was, like, a fort under the coffee table Like, just, like, a weird success And at that point, I didn't have a car anymore I was, like, court dates and weird shit I was in in Eagle Court when Kobe got arrested, if you remember Yeah, he was there, right? Um, Yeah, dude, we were like, there's cameras everywhere
1: so you so you're in so you're you're ski bumming it, your alcohol your your alcoholism is totally getting established. I, I can only imagine Chris hearing these stories. You know, I, I can't even imagine how Chris responded to the to the death. Because Chris, like, didn't cope with, like, major issues easily or well, Um, and I can't even imagine, like, like, I don't know, like, I would assume he would tell me that story about you as, like, a defining moment. You know, But he left that out Instead he would always Compare himself to you uh, and, it, and it just seems like Not the story Now that I'm hearing your story Which is interesting to me Because you know what I mean yeah. Like I kind of expected to hear A more similar story to his But that's just funny You know It is what it is
3: Yeah no for sure And in some ways it is and in a lot of ways It's totally different Like I pretty much Just I mean I would go home Back to the cave I mean it's a pretty good life Living in Vail In the winter And then i go to Cape cot In the summer and it was just like that's not bad, so I did that for a couple of years, um, and that's when I'd like see my folks and stuff. But other than that, like I was out of the house by eighteen, I would wind up back there. But you know. Um,
1: and, and so, what happened after that? I just, I just love to hear this story. I don't mean. To, I hope I'm not boring you with it, telling no, you a story. I think people it's actually
2: like you let through it. I appreciate it. Um. So then I went back to the
3: cave and wound up like, okay, I kind of I got interested in like real estate. And, like, trying to make money Or, like, do something with my life at that point I was, like, 22, 23 And I went and got a job At, like, this, at this moving company On the Cape Doing, like, moving and also doing sales And then pretty shortly thereafter I saw that you'd made, like, a ton of money If you got your license for, like, to drive the big race Right So I went and got that license And then became, like, an over-the-road trucker Wow Yeah
1: Where did you truck? me like so i was mostly
3: like pretty much east of the mississippi but like everywhere constantly back and forth to florida so you were
1: doing interstate truck driving yeah amazing you know it's funny there's this guy right um dopey fan he lives in uh in california and san mateo i think and uh i think he works for facebook he hit me up um because he wanted to like Give something back to Dopey and, uh, and and he set us up With these Dopey Facebook ads And he put them out today But when we were trying To figure out the audience uh, And there's something That Chris and I Used to try to figure out Like what do you have To be interested in To like Dopey kind of thing And one thing that Chris Always wanted to put In the description Was truck drivers Chris always assumed That truck drivers Would love the show uh, Because they're driving and getting fucked up um, how, how long were you A truck driver, Don?
3: So I did that from like tw- For that company From like 23 to 25 Right um, is that how, I can't remember Exactly how went. it went There was also a winter in there When I moved back to Colorado And wound up Getting another DUI And then this was the worst, dude I went I So I got a DUI in Colorado Came back in that company, it was like, okay, like you're valuable assets so we'll pay for you to fight that DUI and get it taken care of, resolved. We do that, and then three days later, I get in a fight in a strip club and get another DUI. Um, it was just like that kind of shit over and over, like build it up and then crash it.
1: You're going super hard, you know.
2: I hear you.
3: And um,
1: yeah. when did you stumble into the harder, harder, harder
2: drugs? Well, so right about, so as I wound up, like, as I left that company, or I can't even
3: remember if I got fired or quit or whatever it was, I moved out to Phoenix, and that was kind of like, so when I lived in Phoenix, Scottsdale, that was, like, the absolute bottom of my alcoholic use. I was with, like, all these dudes who were, like, super Jersey Shore, like, it was just gym tan laundry clubs in Scottsdale, and that wasn't really my thing, but I kind of just went, like, you can get blackout drunk every night, so I did it. Right. Um, And then... And then one I was like I guess I was like 25 at that point 24, or 25 I can't remember But so I got Alcoholic hepatitis Basically To where my liver Was bleeding Into my abdomen Um And like the my, So my side Was like all purple I feel like
1: I, feel like I heard This story I think you told This story on Dopey Years and years ago Um Yeah I I did Um And so So you You drank yourself Fucking so sick That your inside Showed on the outside
3: That's right Amazing yeah. And so then I went Like that crew Kind of I think I freaked those people out Because they were like They went hard But nothing like that I mean I was like They would all go to Vegas For three days And I would just Sit there And just drink bottle after bottle Sometime at that period I became Once I started To really get drunk I could not stop Like nothing would stop me Right So I was losing jobs At that point I'm like Running a piano movie company and my job was to, like, drive to Compton and pick up all these Yamaha pianos and then distribute them throughout Texas.
1: And you were running the whole thing, and you couldn't stop drinking, and you couldn't stop driving. Yeah, dude, it was the worst. Because once you kind of choose to be a driver,
3: that's, like, what your thing is, dude. You know what I mean? So I'd be going through DTs, driving from Phoenix to L.A., just like With no AC In this stupid fucking truck And just like sweating And like Hallucinating And hearing voices And then getting there Getting a hotel Getting blackout drunk And then waking up Super early feeling like shit And then doing it all over It was just awful Awful period
1: Through all that time Were you haunted By the accident? Like I don't Or did you suppress it? Like do you remember? I definitely had like nightmares, and I. But
3: I think I did a really good job suppressing it. So it wasn't a conscious I need to be blackout drunk not to think about the trauma. It was a much more of just like I, I was still trying to paint the picture that I just loved the party, and that I was just like that was my thing. I was just always drunk and like I'm good at that, so that's my identity or whatever. Right.
1: right. It was so deep that you didn't even know you were medicating the, that thing.
3: You know, no, dude, I wouldn't
1: let it go there. That's too. That's too much. Right, right. Yeah. You know, um, I I lived in Florida for a year in um, in like a treatment. You know, I went to Renaissance in Florida and <laughs> in Boca Raton and uh, or Del Rey or whatever. And I and I got to I I had I had a job moving furniture, right? And yeah, I um, and I drove the truck. And within like a day of driving the truck, I like hit an an overpass. I fucking hit a wall. I think I hit a car, and they said I I wasn't allowed to drive again. And so I had to I had to move stuff, and I and I would just be the mover on the truck. So like we had a a kind of parallel thing, except I was such a terrible driver because I grew up in Manhattan that they wouldn't let me drive the truck. And I was sober for that. I just am a terrible driver. Dude,
3: I get it, man. Driving in Manhattan is terrifying driving trucks
1: oh man I, I, I had to drive a truck once in Los Angeles I moved to Los Angeles and I actually moved in with Todd and I got a job as a PA and I had to drive one of those tractor trailers from Hollywood uh, to like Burbank at the top of the hill and I, I was high on crystal meth driving this ridiculous truck I think I think was I think I was calling Todd just telling him how scared I was and that I shouldn't be driving this truck and like I would be driving and be like I should be doing this I shouldn't be doing this And it would be just just terrifying uh, stuff That was like I never should have driven professionally But it sounds like you were a good driver You you seem like the kind of person That, that could handle being a professional driver
3: I, I mean, I, yeah I mean, I, was, I did it a lot I was good at it Also, so towards the end It got scary as I would be like Driving the thing Coming out of a blackout Indian, D.C. Going like 25 miles an hour Straddling the way line Like that was Scary shit You know Yeah Going over Like In Olive Garden At 11am To get blackout drugs Interesting You know what Only thing that saved me During that time Was Stern actually I listened to Howard Stern Like every day At that point Yeah There was something Like tethering about that I don't know what it was What years was that That was probably like 03 04
1: They were still great years then I mean, like, the show was still good then I think that was That was before Artie uh, attempted suicide, right? That was when Artie was still alive, I think Or still on the show Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah Oh, that gets even deeper with my Like, with my When my drug use got out of control There was, like, still some Artie connections going on
1: So let me hear about
3: it Well, let's get to Let's go so past that point Whatever I realized that I can't drink safely At all period ever And it was just real like so several detoxes Come out of that whole period but I'm coming into I'm coming back to Cape Cod To like do whatever I don't even know what I'm doing And somebody some night Somewhere slid me an Oxy 20 And I took it and was like Holy shit I can quit drinking Right And that's how I quit drinking
1: Wow, so the second you had an opiate in you Had you been doing coke or anything before that, or no? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. All the time? So I'd be like, well, sniffing it, for sure, yeah Right So I'd be, like, okay. sniffing coke here and there And, like, I'd maybe smoking, I can't remember
1: What was the lifestyle like on the road, though? You're driving pianos from fucking Compton to Texas, you said? Yeah What was the lifestyle? Like, where would you sleep? You slept on the truck?
3: So I would sometimes, yeah Because you can, like, at that point, I could I would have like an allotment for money to get a hotel, and I would just like that at the bar and then sleep in the back of the truck. That one was like the most. So that whole like Cali to Texas, that was the tamest road life I ever had. The other ones, so like that first one I mentioned with you, um, I would hire this kid who was like the only kid that might to like sit right in the. The me and Chris category My other childhood friend Chris I would bring him on the road with me And we just like That was really fun So we'd just be blackout drunk in Atlanta Work for 20 hours And then go get Like blackout drunk In Nashville And then work again And like we were just Traveling and having a blast You can do that When you're 22 You know Right So that lifestyle road Was actually really Really fun It was super short lived But it was Unsustainable But it was really Fun while it lasted It
1: was the innocence Of adventure And the, the joy Of getting fucked up Before the consequences come Dude, totally It'd be like 22 in my first job that like my
3: boss doesn't know where I am Or doesn't care where I am I'm totally self-sufficient, autonomous and like
1: You're making I'm money, kidding. you're free Yeah No, I got you Incredible Yeah,
3: I got it was, you it was, it was a cool time So that, so me and that kid later would have like some darker stories But
1: Where were you when they, they slipped you the oxy?
3: I think I was just at like some house party And some girl gave it to me Okay and then I remember calling her, and I think, I, I don't think I got sick, but I think I got super fucked up in a really good way. I'd taken it before. I'd taken, like, Vicodin and Perks, and, like, kind of just, like, whatever anybody had around it. i take them sometimes. Something happened at that point in my life when I was, like, so afraid that I wasn't gonna be able to drink anymore. It was just so detrimental that finding the Oxy at that moment was just, like, the most amazing moment of my life.
1: Right. It was the the now you have arrived moment.
3: Big time, dude! I hear you. Mm -hmm.
1: So then, what happened?
3: So, I mean, then I did them every day. So quickly,
1: immediately, you found a source, and it became. And you were just taking it. You were taking it orally every day. No,
3: I don't think I ever. I think I took it orally one time, and then I was sniffing it every day. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, Were you doing it alone? Did you have somebody you were doing it with? Was there a little group of people? What was it like?
3: I, so I was like a little of both I was more of a Alone drug user My whole thing was I wanted to use drugs to like To create emotional homeostasis So I could go out and like Work a job and move forward in life Right I wasn't really trying to like To, to die or to like Totally hide from the world I mean during that time So I did oxys for a couple of years Probably from like two thousand. End of three or something, maybe four to like two thousand five ish. And and during that time, I like I started a company. I started my own trucking company, bought a couple trucks, bought a house, was just like dominating the region I was in in the in the industry we were in. Like doing incredibly well. I could work twenty hours a day. It was like that perfect drug that would it would wake me up better than coffee, and it would put me to bed better than anything else. It was like everything I ever wanted it to be. Right. It was perfect.
1: And how how long do you think that I mean I had a similar experience When I was When I started You know Sniffing heroin In the beginning You know Like I did it While I was doing production And I had like a year Where it did everything I needed it to do you know. Yeah,
2: it's alright.
1: A year, so maybe a year and a half, uh, and I and yeah. I felt like I was somebody, but I was really, I was trying to achieve the same sort of homeostasis of fear and needing to be comfortable in every situation. You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like really wanting that. Um, and when did you? When did you? When was the first time you think you didn't have it?
3: Oh, uh, dude! So I was on a trip down to I think Jacksonville working and I got down there and I was like I just don't feel right like what's going on like I'm totally clueless about the sickness and then I called this kid and he's like yeah man you're, you're dope sick and I was like pissed but also totally one track mind like alright well I guess I guess what you do is just do it constantly so I remember like I had to deliver some hot tub in like South Florida and I dropped that off and just drove straight back 26 hours to the cave and got my dude at like 4 a.m.
1: Right And you're you're like Sick behind the wheel Kind of thing
3: Dude The worst Yeah man I'm taking I don't know if you remember Those old like Yellow jackets And like weird Over the counter stimulants In the early 2000s
1: Yeah I mean we We just did this uh, The only one I did Like that was Ephedrine In upstate New York Me and Todd Would take them Constantly But I'm listening Yeah. Yeah
3: Yeah, so I just did that the whole way back and was like shaking, crying, and just feeling so
1: awful. It's terrible, terrible. But, and, and like, yeah. but that was the first time you were in, in withdrawal. So that was the first. So, like, you, were, did you just imagine that the second you sniffed the oxy, you would feel better without ever having experienced that, right?
3: Yeah, so I think I did. I didn't realize. No, I totally had faith in that, 100%. Yeah. So I mean, it was like that was the goal. Not getting help or not going to treatment or not any other solution other than like I need more of that right now.
1: And so you fucking yeah. you drove across the country, got back to your oxies and uh and felt better. Got well.
3: Yeah, Yeah. And just kinda like continued business as usual, like that wasn't a thing, you know? And then realized I need to be more responsible about how that went down. Obviously. I like think, I could never be away from it for that long again.
1: I feel like that that's like the most I mean, that's like the weirdest and almost most profound moment for an opioid addict is when they get sick... And then they do dope or oxys or whatever their opioid is, opiate is, and they get well. Like, it's such a fucked up thing, right? That you can get so sick and then you do this thing and you feel so good. Like, I remember so many times being so sick and and needing to cop and like, or like being sick at a spot. Copping and using at the spot And feeling so good on my way home You know like It's just such a strange Almost like you know Like science fiction phenomenon It's just so fucking weird You know How about
3: feeling like almost entirely better Just when you get the text that it's gonna happen
1: Oh Yeah what is that about? How
3: odd is that, dude? I don't know, man. I'd be, like, feeling so sick and then i get a test. Even if it's going to be an hour from now, that's fine, dude. I can deal with that. And I feel, like, 60% of my symptoms are gone. That is so weird.
1: It's really weird. I, I mean, are there probably studies on that? Are there studies on that?
3: Dude, I don't know, man. I, there's got to be. There's clearly a huge part of being in withdrawals. I mean, if I'm, like, totally honest with myself, it wasn't... It was awful. I mean, the sleep stuff was, like, just terrible. But it wasn't as bad as I imagined it to be. It wasn't as bad as to make me go on for three years almost dying constantly. Like, it wasn't that bad. But the fear of having to live, like, a sober life, that was bad. Just, like, the knowledge that I'm going to have to face all the wreckage I've caused and all the stupid decisions and just, like, to live a raw life, that was, like, a majority of my... My like impetus to keep going You know
1: Do you think it was the fear Of the sober I mean I think for me It was more The Like the enjoyment Of being high And like Just like I didn't I mean like I think it's the same thing You know what I mean I didn't want to be sober Like I couldn't I couldn't imagine That the world Was a, was an okay place to be If I wasn't um, Lubricated If I wasn't like High You know it's like okay, yeah. uh, But I don't know If it was that I couldn't face You know The life on life terms thing Or like I just didn't want to stop using You know what I mean Like how do you really Quantify that kind of question
2: Yeah dude I know man I think well, it's obviously A combination of the two Yeah Yeah You
1: know So how did it How did it escalate To like fucking Total wall to wall Shooting everything Debauchery I mean pretty quickly As I look back on it Um
3: I mean, there's a similar story to, like, everyone's, where... Um, I went, also, while I was in it, I remember getting 80s for, like, 20 bucks. Like, it wasn't a big deal early on, and then oh, I think I was right in the middle of the upswing, so towards the end of it, people were like, yeah, dude, I got 180, 100 bucks. And I'm like, dude, fuck.
1: Right? It's like, but it was just fuck. so...
3: Right. Dude, it was impossible. Shh. Um, and that's when I can't remember Like some, somebody Obviously Like I denied it before When someone's like I don't have 80s But I have some dope And I'm like Nah man fuck that You know That like feel Like there's a huge difference um, Well there is today But there didn't used to be as much um, Right So I don't know One ice came One time and I sniffed it I did the whole like I sniffed
1: it for three days and then of course I was super curious as to like what everybody else was doing so one day I just gave this to my arm and looked the other way right and then that was it it's hard to go back after that yeah 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 yeah. I hear you I, I did it I did it in the same way I think I, I was in treatment um, I was in treatment in upstate New York in, in a 28 day place with this guy and, uh, and that guy would have been the most amazing dopey guest. He would tell me stories about like stealing stealing Similac from the supermarket and then uh, and then returning it like in the same hour to get money to cop dope and he would he would tell me these stories every night and I would always just think these, this guy's the most interesting guy I've ever met and um, yeah, dude. he convinced me to leave treatment and uh, and I was like, I have an apartment in Manhattan." And uh, and I have money, you know. And um, so we left, and we went to my apartment, and um, and we got dope. And he was like, he's like, I'm not sniffing it. He was like, he was like, I'm shooting it. And I was with him, and he was like, you're a fucking idiot if you if you sniff it. And I was like, I, I think I had shot it once before with this woman, and I and I basically overdosed the first time I shot up with this woman. And then the guy shot me up, and I didn't sniff again after that. Um, just because it's like money and the effectiveness and you don't want to lose any of it and and you just get, so it's, you know, it just hits you.
3: Dude, totally. I remember knowing that like the rate, the percentages of intranasal versus intravenous and like realizing that you're saving like X amount of dollars by doing it. Yeah, it was prudent. It was very financially responsible.
1: And when, uh, in that point, did you still have your business? Did you have the trucking business? Like, when did all that shit start to, to phase out?
3: Yeah, I did. For, like, I'd say for about a year, as I was shooting, I still had the business. And, it, of course, there was, like, so many signs, but I kind of took myself from being director of operations and back on the trucks. I was like, I just need to do all the long-haul stuff. And I had a business partner at the time. Um so I was like you stay here and do this stuff with your family I'll go on the road and do all of that so I would just go on the road and take that kid again Chris and we would just go out with like as much drugs as we could get before we left and inevitably run out and then it would just be debauchery As I tried to drink myself from being dope sick And like that whole That whole gamut So that went on for about a year until he realized It was like 50k missing from Our joint account right? And then I kind of just yeah, Went to like one last detox and then never came back
1: Can you remember Dylan on that road trip With your buddy Chris um, Any like ridiculous story Of that I mean that sounds like the craziest Circumstance I ever heard Like you and another dope you know Heroin addict Getting on a truck to move furniture, you know what I mean? Like it, it's just such a recipe for disaster and/or amazing dopey stories. Like okay,
3: during that like six month period, there's three of those that are just all equally. There's like this crazy five day crack run in Jacksonville. There's
1: cheating. what happened? Um, what ha- give me give me some of the you highlights. Yeah.
3: <clears throat> okay. So we realized We like I can't remember how much we had The two of us Do you talk specifics about like drugs Or is it triggering Or like what
1: No we we talk specifics about everything Okay so we have like A half a stack Or something
3: like five bundles Um And we're gonna go down To Florida For like three days Deliver a bunch of stuff Pick some other stuff up And come back Not a huge deal
1: So five bundles Between the two of you And you drive down to Florida
3: yeah, makes okay. sense, right? Uh-huh. You're like, you do the math, you're like, okay, whatever We're not going to be, like, wrecked the whole time, but we shouldn't be sick, that's fine Yeah, And we're also, of course, like, with the the motivation to kind of take it
1: easy and back off a little bit Just to maintenance, we don't need to party, it's not about that It's about yeah. working and making money, you know And about not getting sick, yeah, uh-huh Yeah, it's about not getting sick So we make it to, like, <sighs> South Carolina, I think North yeah. Carolina's
3: <laughs> on our way down North Carolina's, like, the last bags we shoot in like a truck stop bathroom or whatever we're fucking doing and uh and then it becomes like the hunt so as soon as that last bag's done it's like okay we're clearly not making it we have like a ton of work to do how are we going to get right
1: wait so you leave where did you drive from
3: from outside of boston so
1: you leave massachusetts with four bundles for the trip to florida and when you get to north carolina you're shooting your last bag yeah. That's hysterical yeah. in itself. So, what it was, happened?
3: Yeah. Because <laughs> then, you know, you get kind of lower and you're like, dude, I've heard there's a ton of dope down south. Like, we'll be totally fine. And I'd, like, I'd made stuff happen before down there, but it's not easy. And, uh, and anyway, so we get to North Carolina and then we're like, all right, so now it's on. We're going to every city. And, and trying to get dope. And the thing is, down there, by the way, there's like a linguistic barrier to where dope means crack, right? And so we can, and even when you can, like, we're like, no, we need that, like, that boy, that like, we need that brown, that whatever. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, totally. And then crack is like
1: <laughs> easier to find, so they bring back crack. <laughs> That's and, you know, yeah. They bring back brown like, crack, like, crack, right? Dude, what are you gonna do? You're like holding on to this homeless dude's bike so he doesn't fucking. Like keep your eighteen dollars or whatever it is, so you just like fucking smoke it, and then all of a sudden it becomes a crack run, right? But like those
3: crack runs where you're starting to get sick and yeah. dope, it's just like terrible. Oh, dude! So if you can drink enough and like smoke enough, you can kind of save it off for like ten minutes at a time. But there's no way that's like a permanent solution. So I'm just like my buddy Chris is actually way more was way more into shooting and smoking coke. Than I was And he was like Just as happy To like To, to shoot coke Than he was to shoot dope So he was kind of like Whatever man I'll just shoot crack For the next week That's fine
1: And the withdrawal um, The withdrawal Didn't really hit him Dude he was weird He didn't He ended up getting sober Like two years after I did But he Until the very end
3: Was one of those weird The unicorn Of like He could shoot for like Three days And then take a couple days off And then not do it And then like He never had a habit Until like the very end
1: That's what Todd was like Except Todd didn't shoot Todd, Todd would just do like Two or three days a week And then he wouldn't use And he would just drink Bottles of water With lemon in it And he would just Talk shit about my addiction And he went on like that For 20 years And I mean like You know It's just crazy Anyway So you're on this Fucking trip I, I mean did you wind up I mean in my situation Like that I would figure out A way to get dope Or pills Did you wind up Getting them Or did you get sick What happened
3: So I got sick And we wind up like So we're just getting I think we get Cracked in Charleston, South Carolina We get crack In Savannah, Georgia Yeah And then we get uh, Jacksonville Which I'm like Dude this is This has to be We have to be able to get in here So we kind of just parked the truck We're in this like Super seedy motel In the worst part of town And I was calling my girlfriend I had like the sweetest Nicest girlfriend at the time She was like Non-drug addict Just like super nice Supportive Like the girl Like an amazing woman Um, And so I'm talking to her on the phone Like "All right, babe Like yeah things are good I'm just gonna I guess go to bed now And like as I was just gearing up for a crack run And uh, and Chris runs in the hotel room With like these three kids from the street Like on him I can't remember if they had a gun or not But it was like super aggressive And a lot of yelling And they were like roughing Chris up And trying to get us to give him money And my girlfriend's like What the fuck is that And I just turned my phone off And then we kind of like talked them down and ended up just buying a ton of crap They couldn't get heroin So we just bought a ton of crap But they kept leading us on to like No dude I think we got a guy coming through That'll have dope soon That'll have heroin soon And so we just kept on going like that dude Um For like five days And we got separated in the middle of it And it was like I came out of a blackout at one point In like an entirely other part of Jacksonville Having pissed myself Naked wow. In this hotel room and I kinda of turn over and like look
2: behind me and there's this crazy looking dude I would later realize this this dude named Wolfie that uh, had just been released from prison that morning. And he was getting a blow
3: job and smoking crack and it was like a dog. <laughs> and I had myself. And then his like his lady of the night like came over to me and put the stem in my mouth. And I hit that and she's like trying to snuggle, but I'm like fucking piss myself. It's like so gross. I stagger into the bathroom and I'm just looking at myself in the mirror, like, dude, what I have no clothes, I have no idea where I am, I have no cell phone, I have no money, I have I did have a credit card still in my piss laden shorts.
1: Oh my god.
3: Um, that apparently I had used to buy like this entire homeless crew. Rooms full of rooms at the hotel we were in
1: So you bought like a wing of the hotel For this homeless crack smoking crew
3: Yeah That's amazing Yeah. And then so then Wolfie Wolf? I can't remember his name Chris would remember He was just like this This dude was so fucking crazy He pulled a gun on me in the middle of I-95 And uh But anyway he's going around He's like dude we got I got heroin over here But it would just be more crack dealers Everywhere we went dude Just the craziest crack run And I'm like pounding beers and vodka in between As we're about to supposed to get it I lost my buddy Chris for like a couple days Meanwhile my girlfriend and my boss And the customers were supposed to be working for I have no idea where I am And so like all that anxiety is just eating on me And every time I take a hit It's like three seconds of decent, I guess, forgetting But then you're like instantly drawn back into Like how bad you're fucking your life up It was just miserable so that like, whatever I finally get Wolfie to bring me back um, Bring you back that, where, though? To, to the hotel To the original hotel Where Chris had been waiting for me for days now
1: Right And what was he um, up to? He was shooting coke by himself?
3: He was smoking crack with his whole crew He moved, to, like, half the street into our hotel room He had,
1: like, so gotten married him. He, like, knocked up some crack whore down there He, like, had patio furniture and shit Chilling, waiting for you to come back now. No Dude basically He was like He was also
3: dealing With my girlfriend Calling the hotel room Constantly And he couldn't move Because he didn't have The credit cards And he was just like There with the phone Unplugged With like six or seven Homeless people
1: kind oh, Wait of how out. old were you How old were you At the time
3: 26
2: 27
1: And the homeless crew Was mostly You know how old Were they Mostly older Same you know Just a bunch of like Fucking ragged Crusty sort of Punky yeah. types yeah, like 40 to 50 Probably Right, amazing So you guys were like yeah. The golden children For these people yeah. That came with all this money That could float yeah. All this crack Oh my god yeah. And did you ever wind up Finding dope On this adventure?
3: Not on that Dude, I don't think I did and that one The last Our last attempt We finally had like Gotten the go From my boy Blue and Black These two dudes Who were gonna take me Over to this place And as soon as we Pull out of the motel We get pulled over <sighs> Um, When we get yanked out And they're like Looking at me Like back then I was like lifting a lot And I had like a short haircut I probably looked like Quasi military Right And they're like Dude what are you doing here And they put me in the back Of the car anyway Dude while I was in the back Of the cop car of my dude Blue Who I just met Stole my wallet Out of my pants So they put us in the wallet, <laughs> They put us in the comp car And they take us out To search us again And they're like Why do you have his wallet? And I'm like Yeah dude Blue What the fuck Why do you have my wallet? And he's like Alright man yeah oh And this my is God. like classic institutional racism he he arrested those two dudes and just told me to get the fuck out of there
1: Um, well maybe if Blue hadn't stolen your wallet while in custody he wouldn't have gone. you know know, that's that might have been the thing that got you released
2: it might have been dude it might have been
1: that's fucking crazy so do you remember so what happened next
3: so then I think like I gave this dude my credit card like in the middle Like in the At dawn to, He was gonna go You know that scam like, Or like Not scam Whatever Where you stand by the pump And yeah. you offer to pay To yeah. pay, pay for the gas sure. you the cash. Yeah yeah. So he was gonna go do that For a couple of hours And then get some more crap. Um, but he took off So then it was like No more card, No more anything And I think we just like Soldiered on Dead like So dope sick and strung out And we just like Made those deliveries and
1: so, then, so through all this You have a truck Full of furniture? Yeah dude With customers that were like Where is my shit? We just moved down here We're staying in a hotel Waiting for our daughter's clothes Yeah This could be like The greatest drug addict Road movie ever You know oh, like
3: dude, There's like ones That are worse than that and More depraved
1: well, I, I think I can only Handle the one right now But maybe
2: yeah.
1: I, I mean I think only You could only handle Telling the one I mean, That's like fucking A really really Wall to wall Dopey story Dude, and like, yeah, it was in the, yeah, yeah See I And whenever I was In a situation like that I couldn't handle uh, I couldn't handle Coke without dope I just couldn't handle it, you know um, I think I always figured out a way to get dope And I wouldn't even want to do the coke Because I would be It would just be too nasty for me, you know I just couldn't handle the chemistry of it Dude, me neither I was not handling it But it was the only option Yeah, it's so funny You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. no It's just like Dude, I would run into the bathroom every time And just to look at my eyes and my pupils And just to
3: like Just almost like marinating And how much I hated myself Right You know what I mean There was no No crack run Ever had any glamour in it Some like smoking Some good coke Have like a couple decent hours But like dude That was just like
1: The saddest Sickest time Right Right It's hilarious now So thank god That kid's sober We like joke about it All the time It is hilarious And it is equally tragic Because you know There's like A million people Out there right now Doing that And you don't know How many people Are gonna make it back you know, like, how long did it take you to, to go from that to, like, uh, day one?
3: Yeah, so there's another, like, that was when I had everything going still. So. so there was, like, a couple more of those type of things where, like, I think the last truck, wrote, I ended up injuring my ankle while I was shooting and got this, like, really crazy infection where they... My dad came over And he's like Dude you're a fever Of 106 And you brushed me to the, to the ER And they had to put Like a pick line Into my heart To give me antibiotics Because it was like Whatever So shady And that was kind of That was like The beginning of the end
1: Right And then What was the infection from? I don't even know man I mean I
3: was not careful With like what I used for water Right For sure Like spit Or like Pond water Or like an old fucking coke like, So you
1: anything. were one of these people That was one of the funniest things For me with Chris Was that he would talk about That when he didn't have water That he would spit in his hand And try to draw it up Yeah dude And you did that too?
3: Yeah And it worked? Yeah. Yeah Alright Yeah Okay, so you So get the same... I imagine it's not like isn't there something legend about like how our mouths are like the dirtiest thing ever?
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: Isn't so, that like, like so anyway, I've like sprained my ankle so there's a bunch of swelling, meaning probably blood flow wasn't super good. I probably shot something and introduced some weird something into my body. And I didn't even take care. It was like a pretty I tore a ligament. It was like a pretty pretty bad sprain, but I remember just duct taping a shingle to it and like going about my life. Wow. Um and then my ankle actually started to like got so swollen, the skin started to like crack, and then I went into this into Boston Medical for a couple of weeks where so they did the surgery with the pig line. What is a pic line? A PIC line is like a... Uh, they use it for a constant delivery system for antibiotics or anything else. Like, basically, to your heart. So the big thing with osteomyelitis is that it can infect the heart, and then at that point, you cool. Like, it's not good. I'm not sure if it's like a death sentence, but it's not good at all. So the idea is like four times a day, you have to, like, screw this thing onto your bionic vein and then inject antibiotics and in like, in some kind of... Like sterile water Or something To like push it through Wow Which you can Mix heroin into
1: Is that what you did?
3: Yeah Yeah
1: So you Were you adding The dope To the To the IV bag Or whatever?
3: Yeah so I had I'd like to the antibiotics so I'd add coke and dope to the antibiotics and then shoot
1: it we just had a dude on the show tell a similar story about that would it drip would it drip from the bag into your heart or you would shoot it
3: no, you shoot it. So it's like a screw-on thing. So you literally screw it into your vein, basically. Like your vein has a little port going. Oh my out of it. god. The mac is pushed through up your arm, through your chest, to like millimeters from your heart. That's the idea. Is like you want the antibiotics, like kind of showering the heart. I guess. Right. I'm not a doctor, but that sounds roughly what they said. Um. So then I figured, like, I've never shot coke or heroin into my heart before.
1: And you were like, I'll never have this opportunity again. I need to, I need to take this opportunity.
3: Yeah. So I had that same kid, Chris, I had someone there. I was like, dude, I have no idea what's going to happen. So just watch me. And I did it and it was different. Not, like, super amazing or anything, to be honest. But it was different than, like, sensations I felt before.
1: So you were laid up in the hospital, right? You were laid up. You had the pick line in your heart for antibiotics to keep you alive. And you (laughs) called up Chris. And and this (laughs) is not... Huh? Not in the hospital So this is after I got released You have to have So for some infections You need to have that pick line in for like
3: Sometimes months At yeah. home Yeah yeah So I was at home I was like On crutches With my newly I had like a bunch of bones like a, like a fair amount of bone Removed from my ankle Because it was so infected um, And then So that's when I was like On crutches Just like about town Just being a complete fool Because I was also prescribed Methadone and Dilaudid And Xanax And so just like a complete blackout disaster
1: Wow That's serious yeah. I mean they prescribed you methadone and allotted at the same time Yeah What yeah. Could, what could the explanation for that be? You're just in a lot of pain
3: Yeah I think it came to light That I was an addict during that Because I remember getting out of surgery And just like wailing with like the most pain I mean they'd like cut in They'd taken they like, fixed some tendons and removed some bones. So it was, like a, like, a significant surgery. Probably not the most painful, but it, like, hurt a lot. And, like, because I'd been using so much painkillers and heroin that whatever they gave me wasn't working. At all. So they quickly, yeah, and I had, like, track marks, dude. And I was, like, I just looked fucked up, you know? So I think they deduced that I was a heroin addict. They had a social worker talk to me, like, five minutes. But then I think they were actually pretty kind in my... I mean, I don't know if that's the right word, but they kind of took that into account.
1: They were sympathetic and they prescribed methadone.
3: Yeah. Either that, or like we don't ever want to hear this kid call us again. So here's some kind of drugs. Get out of here.
1: No, I think that's an interesting thing with uh, the medical community, and I think it probably changed, but I'm not even sure. I remember like if I, I had this crazy, crazy seizure, and I like, you know, I was very close to death, and the cops had to come take me out of the house. And when I woke up in the hospital, I told them I was an addict, and they immediately prescribed me methadone and uh, and, and benzos because I was in. Benzo withdrawal um, And I think that That happened a bunch of times To me In, in like In a hospital situation They don't They don't like are They're not like You have to get clean They like want to make sure You don't go into withdrawal
3: Absolutely Yeah totally You're a huge pain in the ass Yeah, I mean be benzo withdrawal Is super dangerous so I know You can't play with that I,
1: I had seizures All over the place From benzo withdrawal Everywhere I would have I had seizures everywhere um,
2: Dude I didn't get into benzos What not I saying
1: Fucking, I, I have to say, like, you know, I was, like, I'd say pot was my favorite drug in the end, like, just as as an identity drug, and heroin, obviously, like, I was uh, completely addicted to, and, you know, I loved how heroin made me feel, and then I loved... All you know The aspects of heroin You know the ritual And the shit And everything um, Until I fucking Didn't need it And hated it But was still Totally addicted to it But with benzos I was such a, a Fucking neurotic person That benzos was like The most obvious drug For my brain It just fit me Like a glove You know Like uh, And and you know I wish I hadn't Because benzos Make you slow And fat And stupid And you get I got so so addicted to them You
3: know Yeah dude You're, They made you so oblivious Which I guess is what you were going for But like oblivious in a way I didn't like
1: Oh I I, I really 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 liked it And I also
3: like, would. Just, uh, yeah I, I always had a bottle With me Right but it wasn't Somewhere hidden As a parachute But
1: I remember um, And this is a fucked up story um, When When my When Linda My partner Was pregnant Uh, And and she was like Near giving birth I would call Todd And send him he, He had found a Xanax dealer Named Phoenix In Union Square And I would send Todd To score Xanax for me While I was at the hospital With Linda Oh, until until Todd was like I'm not going so I remember going out in the snow to find Phoenix who was this like character this old black guy who who just always had Xanax and uh, always had something nasty to say but like you know how that is like the, the ca- I wish like I could meet these people sober and kind of make sense of their story but when you yeah. need them so badly you have no idea what their story is um Anyway, I want to know how like cuz now you're like a spiritually sound, helpful person, like a leader in your community, you work in treatment, you have people working for you, you obviously sponsor people. Like what was the what was the turning point? So I guess the following year, to what we've been talking about, a couple like a couple
3: just even worse, horrific stories. We'll save for another day. Go down. I wind up going to treatment. In North what
1: was North the America. What was the worst one? What was the worst one?
3: The like it's a tie, probably between escaping a psych ward in Daytona Beach and driving from Boston to Arizona with that pick line in. Just drinking and doing methadone the entire way and trying to like break into hospitals and then eventually just doing a ton of Percocet fives and cocaine to where my body started to like shut down.
1: Did you break into any hospitals? No, no.
3: I just kept going into like every, I keep pulling off hospitals, keep pulling off exits where there might be a hospital and I would just like be milling around and like talking to people about like, is this a place that would prescribe? Just like constantly casing everything and like on the hunt for methadone. Right When I ran out I ran out like Louisiana or, or not Louisiana Like Oklahoma
1: or something Yeah save Save the, the best one Because I'll we'll do it again Yeah, yeah. Like, you're, you're, I have to say Dylan You know It's been a little while Since we've had anything like this On the show So just I know that you're probably Feeling weird about it But just know that You're doing a service To the Dopey Nation The Dopey Nation Needs real dopey stories And this is uh, yeah. You know You're delivering But now I want to get to the part Where you have Some uh you know some some positive fucking you know uh transformation or something good
3: all right all right i'm proud to be proud to be part of the nation um so more failed attempts treatment i finally did like an actual inpatient treatment thought i had it licked Relapsed again overdose psych ward felony arrest all kind of crazy shit right um and then in 2007 Towards the end of it, I overdosed one last time, went into that treatment center again. I had no money, but that guy let me in. Tim, fucking, fucking, Tim. Tim let me in if I would work like manual labor every day. That was like my penance or like my payment. So I'd be like shoveling snow.
1: was it that mountainside? Yeah. Holy shit The funniest yeah. thing is like When Tim comes on Dopey You're like Tell me the worst thing you did He's like Well I drank a lot And took mushrooms by the fire You know It's like Your story is like Oh my god It's so funny right Dude
2: I know well, I got like
3: seven years On him As far as like He got sober so young I know He's He was like a, a crack guy too he, I think he's got some So sort away. Of
1: he, yeah, um, he didn't want to. He didn't want to bring it. Then you know, it's funny. No, yeah,
3: well, wow, it's interesting.
1: He's all grandmother um, ayahuasca and adventure shit. You're all. It's funny. <laughs> I love that.
3: Yeah, we're different.
1: So he, he um, takes you into mountainside. He so says, he took so, me in, yeah. And the whole thing was like, he'll take me in for as long as it takes for me to get into like a local sober house, which was like twelve or thirteen days. Well, how did you get like, there in the first place? Like, what was the? How did you find out about it? Um, mountainside, yeah, I had gone there in May of that year, so that's the one
3: invitation I'd done, dude. There's one like family spiritual guide had mentioned to my mom, like, hey, there's this place out there. Back then, it was like a dot org, like, barely a couple grand a month. Um, and so I went there, but I, I just didn't take it seriously, as I said, like, I, I didn't understand powerlessness, I didn't understand any higher power concept, I didn't. But I just didn't get it I was also However Introduced to like A community of people Who were kind of psyched On being sober So that meant a lot to me And that's why I went back to that community Later on Because in the meantime I drove to Colorado And that's where I had Like the overdoses And all that Crazy shit going down But anyway Me and this kid drove back from Colorado And I had nowhere to go So I just had to Drop me off in Canaan
1: Wow So you like Come back and And Tim's like I'll put you up But you have to start Working for it Kind of thing
3: yeah, but not. So it took me like a month to get there because I still was under the impression That if I was in the proximity to those people, I would be fine. Um, but I overdosed again, and that's when I wound up in a psych ward for the last time. Um, and then that's when Tim took me in, after that last overdose, which was in Connecticut.
1: Did he? So, did you seek him out, or did he seek you out?
3: Um. No, I, I totally sought him. out I think my mom called. Um. And like Begged him to like Do something And then he kind of Caved and let me in there For a couple days So Super kind
1: Yeah my life. Amazing Amazing And he, he probably healed. Saw in you What you saw in Chris
3: Dude maybe so We only had like A couple interactions When I was inpatient Last time Um But yeah dude We jived And I And I definitely Took a lot from like From his wisdom at that point, so I mean, yeah, dude, who knows? And then later on, we become much closer. But at that point, I was kind of a stranger. But maybe you saw something,
1: right? So, so you 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 wind up getting into treatment. And like, when did it become like? When did twelve step stuff become like attractive to you? Like, what did it take for that to change?
3: Sorry, so I did that spin. I was, like, opening up more. I tried meditating, but when I was in there and I had, like, some actual profound experiences through meditation or hyperventilation, I'm not exactly sure what it was in retrospect, but I had, like, feelings of being connected in a piece sober when I was in Mountainside for that 12 days. So I came out with, like, a resolution that at least I wasn't going to do anything stupid right away. And then, like, six weeks into being at that sober house... I was taking a nap one day and the sober house manager Like came and woke me up And was like hey do you care To tell us why there's like state police Surrounding the house right now And I've, I've like failed to tell her That I had a federal extradition Warrant from Colorado um, For possession Of heroin and they like fully executed it. I was like no way they're gonna come to Connecticut From that
1: So but some Colorado cops came to fucking Canaan To get you
3: no one did one, and then like they used a bunch of Connecticut police.
1: Wow, I mean that could be another movie: the road trip dude. of the cop from Colorado to go to Connecticut. Oh my god, dude!
2: That's yeah. funny. So they take dude. you back?
3: So no, they didn't. So they put me in Whaley App in New Haven, and I was there for a couple weeks. And it was something during that time where I like broke. They were. I mean, you don't get like to see anybody. I had no support. I had a public defender who saw me like one time. And it was like, yeah, you your face, and like. A lot of jail time I had overdosed in Vail And in Colorado They can apparently at a time They can just take your blood And then if there was heroin present in your blood That's considered possession They charged me with a felony possession of heroin And illegal use of a controlled substance Which is like the same thing you get if you date rape somebody Right It's like they just threw the book at me with all these charges That amounted to like double digit years in prison For fucking overdosing Um,
1: Which is probably the best thing that ever happened to you too Which is so funny Uh,
3: yeah, I was And that was That was two days in a row I had overdosed With the same paramedic Getting me
1: Oh my god He was um, like, you? He's like, didn't I Didn't I deal with you yesterday?
3: Yeah, man I went back there two years sober And found that guy and took him out for coffee What did he say? He was blown away And like totally psyched
1: So like when, when you Cause like So Keep going, I'm sorry So I guess, yeah So I guess the, the baseline Like for whatever happened in that In Whaley ad, I remember Tim had told me about this dick in the
3: dirt prayer. Just get like as low as you possibly can as a form of submission and ask for help. And I remember just being in the middle of this pod, asking for help, like please something, someone, something, God, I don't understand. I was, I grew up like Unitarian, I'm certainly not religious. Um, but I was like totally open to there being another way or something, God was just so desperate and broken. And that was just after I called my mom For like the thousandth time From a detox for a psych order or jail And she was And I was like this time is going to be different though I'm going to get out I have the sober house I'm going to be alright And she said Dylan your words speak so loudly I can't hear a, Or your actions speak so loudly I can't hear a word you're saying right. And I got the phone right. And I was like Fuck yeah it's good right Yeah Um and something, I don't know, dude Something clicked at that Something in there It wasn't like a white light experience by any means But if I look in retrospect After that, I just started seeking A spiritual solution Like it was the only thing that mattered
1: And you and like when, just, did, when did it start like you feeling it work? You know what I mean? Because like you, I, I remember I mean, I was at a meeting this morning um, And it was a beginner's meeting and um, and everybody was counting days and like I hadn't been to a meeting like that in a long time I haven't been around that in a long time and it made me so grateful to have a little bit of time and when I talked about my story I shared this morning and it was like I just remembered like somebody told me they wanted me to come back to the meeting and like and how and how that affected me, and then just kind of crawling back to walking you know and not wanting to ever be in a situation like that again, you know uh, what was it for you like what made it start sticking
3: so it was the very beginning, I remember going to Tim Tim's office he like had an open door policy even after we left and I went there every day like hey I heard you started a big book study can I do that with you and he was like no sorry we're full and we're like too far and I went back every day for like three days and finally he let me in and so the first time I went to that was like this kind of I didn't feel great I was riddled with anxiety but I remember having like this feeling that these dudes Tim and this guy Don That were running it Like these dudes Know what they're talking about They've been where I am And I trust that Eventually I'll get there So at that point It started to feel Less like I was Sentenced to a lifetime Of anxiety and depression And that like Maybe Maybe Outside shot I could actually be comfortable And then Over the next couple months It was like So when I'm like Two, three, four months There was like moments I was also super lucky That I fell into a crowd of guys Who took recovery seriously But were also about having fun And like fucking with each other In like a healthy way And so At least I could have moments Of like not feeling completely incarcerated by my emotions just like being with these dudes and hitting a ton of meetings and then I distinctly remember that summer so like six months I was working for this couple managing their estate they'd moved out from the city and they just had like this massive estate in Connecticut and my job was to like mow the lawn or whatever And I remember driving the tractor, like, and it started raining, and having, like, this, it was, like, a warm rain, and it was, like, it was just this beautiful scenery. Right. And for the first time, like, really feeling, like, okay... If I work my ass off, this thing can be amazing. I just like had an insight that this could be incredible.
1: Right. That that's an amazing thing, you know, like when you realize that the world can be a decent place to live in even if you're not high and you're not doing crazy shit. It, it's an amazing moment. I can even imagine that. That's
3: it's fucking cool. Jared. And it it wasn't great Like in my life I didn't have a cell phone I didn't have a car I barely had any money I was getting picked up And dropped off everywhere Like I couldn't I was using the house phone To call like some sponsor And like so Externally my life Was in no way It was probably the worst It had ever been Or pretty close to it But like something Felt like real And I felt like I had a foothold And then it was just like I'm not shy anymore about the fact that like me and a couple dudes just like we went after recovery so fucking hard dude We just like it was constant meetings constant prayer discussion meditation Like reading about 12-step origin but also a bunch of other stuff and like different forms of spirituality I got super into all that stuff and Tim's sweat lodges and like anything If I was anything that could possibly make me feel at all better in a healthy way I was going to try to
1: say yes So you like Like when they say You have to go after your recovery Like you went after your drugs That's actually what you did Yeah Yeah I think Yeah dude it is but there's nothing wrong, I mean, it's like, that. I mean, me and Chris, when we started to do Dopey, um, in the very beginning, we would talk all the time about, like, actualization, you know, being the best, you know, self-actualization being the greatest, the greatest way to not uh, do drugs, where you have something else to do, and I think for me and Chris, like, Dopey became that thing, but it sounds like, you know, but Chris also pursued recovery in the same way, and, like, and when you get to that sort of, I mean, it sounds like you did it, mind, body, spirit, fucking doing everything you could do to really rocket yourself to that next fucking place. And uh, and it sounded like you had some results, no?
3: Yeah man. And it's and I don't want to paint the picture that it was perfect. I also in that first year, I think I gained like sixty pounds. Right. It was like ripping like two packs of steaks a day and like drinking monster and Red Bull and Celsius and like a complete mess in some ways for sure. But it was like all in pursuit of like My body my, my my being attractive or my being healthy Or my like dressing a certain way Or my even owning a car Means nothing in the grand scheme here Means nothing And like I just like totally forgot about Like the The, the gift of patience Still like descended upon me in that moment Because I was never able to have that before It was always like get back, get the car, get the girl Get the clothes, get whatever the business But like the the grace to just slow down and realize that i was going to attain nothing unless i first like understood my own emotions and like a greater sense of purpose and some some real traction giving philosophies and ideas
1: it sounds you know I mean? like an actual spiritual awakening
3: dude 100% you too man
1: Yeah, well, for me, it was different, and uh, it was, like, it kind of seeped into me over time and with weird things. I I mean, like, your story, like, it sounds... I mean, I think it's very cool, and it's very... It's exciting to me, like, imagining you... It's, like, training to be spiritual. It's, like, training to understand what you need to do to not be the person that you had been, you know? Um... When, and, then you, and then you got into the business of it Did you go immediately into the business of it Or did you do other stuff first
3: No so I that, that, that job That I worked with one of my best friends Dan I'm not sure you've definitely met him um,
1: He and yeah, I no, Dan, Dan gave the first great criticism of Dopey He was like oh, he? Yeah he said Dopey's really good It just would be better if it was funnier <laughs> 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 Which was fair enough, you know.
3: That's so good. Yeah. Dude, he's he's an amazing person in my life. But uh so he and I but he was like this pre-med young like scholarly academic genius and uh and then it was me. And both of us just like totally pushed pause and we worked at that farm. So it was a thirty acre farm with these two crazy old people who were just super mean to us. And they also had built an addition on their house. For stray animals, and so they had twenty five stray cats and like somewhere between like five and eight stray dogs. That it was now our job to take care of. So every morning we'd go in and just pick up cat and dog shit, feed them, give them medication, as we're like listening to speaker tapes or like Eckhart Toll stuff, right? And then we get the animals straightened out, and then go outside and like and mow or dig holes or do whatever we need to do. We did that for like. God I think I worked there For six and a half years Like I I did that For a long time I overlapped
1: a little bit I started working In the industry at Like four years sober I think What was the first But you were like Working on a fucking farm And then you were like I I, What what made you realize That you wanted to work In the recovery industry At all
3: Man dude I don't know It just kind of happened So I was like Honestly I was pretty content with that job. And also they were both getting older and we started taking care of them medically a little bit and it was clear they were both going to die right soon. So both of us kind of made a pact that like, we're going to run this out to support them, even though they were awful to us, but they've been awful to everybody and had no family and no friends. So we were like everything to them. Um, but I like, so I was in four years and then somebody approached me at a meeting and was like, Hey, would you want to like work for that treatment center I went to? Uh, and I almost did it, but it felt like too early So I said, no, I don't want to do it That was like three years or something And then a year later Somebody else Offered me like what sounded like a really compelling Job in Boston That I could kind of commute to And I could keep my farm job um, And do like some case management And crisis intervention And like some stuff that sounded pretty exciting And that they weren't going to expect too much from me Like, As far as like Understanding the industry Or anything It was just like Hey this kid is Like just overdosed In Minnesota And now he's running around Fucking The ghetto Go get him And put him in the street Right Right Which I love that shit I
1: love that That's just like Yeah I'm sure there's a There's a There's a crazy dopey episode With that Um Just you know Fucking uh Tracking kids down Doing intervention All that kind of stuff Um but you wound up opening up uh, some residences for people. Like, what? How do you describe your work now? Like, what are you doing?
3: I mean, that was so. That was again totally. So I did that for a little while. Case management stuff. Those, the that couple, they both died, um, which was really cool to play that out fully, um, and like beautiful in a lot of ways. So I took like a year off, and in that time, I'd like been working. I worked like 120 hours for two weeks straight, or two years straight, where I was doing like that intense case management, kind of like Silver Companion stuff in Boston, and then I'd drive back for 50 hours straight at the farm, um, and then at that point, I like had some money, and I was like, I'm going to buy a one-bedroom place in Boston, or like a place in the Berkshires with like a like decent amount of land, so I opted for that. And then I didn't Never planned on Starting anything necessarily I moved in Dan I moved in Alex And then we had An open room In this local Treatment center I was like Hey Would you like We know you do some Case management and stuff Could this kid move in And like
1: Wow I mean, So it just started Like that Supernaturally
3: Yeah Yeah
1: And those guys yeah. Were your first people
3: Yeah Wow so it was the four of us I mean it was a three of us It was me Dan and Alex You know the whole like We moved in with nothing No furniture Like sleeping on the Living floor together um, just like really cool Bootstrapping Right And then And that's about Like so close to that Is when Chris started to hit me up To move in there And I was like Dude no way Cause you know He'd relapse. Yeah New York Yeah Um
1: That relapse I mean that was like For my money Like for whatever reason Chris's relapse in Brooklyn Was like my favorite relapse story Of any story Um Even With the girl. <laughs> yeah just the whole Just the whole thing Like you No know, just being Running that loft place And like Taking the, the client's drugs And like Tripping ecstasy And shooting fucking coke And heroin In the facility Um I don't know why Like Cause like, I remember he brought me to that place. He took me on a double date to that loft. And yep. um, he also would always call me up when he knew I was sober and ask me if I wanted to like trip with him and this and that. But like, there was just something so comical about him running the place, stealing the kids' drugs, and then fucking getting high among them. Like I don't know why I thought it was so funny That was like part of the whole origin of Dopey That I just thought that story was so Or, or his needle factory story his, sto- oh, his stories were just so fucking funny to me Also just the way he was He was such like an aw shucks innocent type guy And he would come out with these ridiculous stories You know So like I guess he had relapsed a bunch of times When, um, when he, he was like I have to get back to the source Right Yeah And that's when That's when he begged To come live with you guys
3: Yeah So he called me one night And I was just like Walking through Fucking Like Some supermarket And he's like Hey I ate a bunch of acid And I'm like Oh fuck Like what what do you want What are you doing Like someone asks for help Says that It's like enjoy it Be safe Call me tomorrow Like what do you do
1: And then he's kind of Asking me to to Navigate the discussion He's having with a girl I don't know if you remember that Oh the HPPD With Tina Yeah 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 So he started tripping And then he
3: go And then Yeah exactly And then he tells her Like actually I'm not tripping I'm having a flashback And then he gets honest and is like No actually I am surfing And she's like no you're having a flashback So Chris calls me and says that And then the girl calls me And is like Chris is having a flashback I don't know what to do And Chris I'm like switching between lines And Chris is like no dude I totally ate acid And she's like he said no but he thinks that Because he's having a flashback That was just like a classic Chris And then someone went down there and he got like a bottle, you know the whole story. Dude, he got a bottle and then jumped out of the car when he got back to Boston, and then kept going for a couple days.
1: Yeah, that story's so crazy. He he loved that story more than any of his stories uh, I know. because it was hallucinogenic persisting something disorder. Yeah. Like, and yeah. he he loved that anachronism or an acronym. Yeah. And um, and there was some end of the story where she made him carry a metal pig across town or something. <laughs> and, <laughs> Remember that part. And he was a pig, you know, and I, yeah. you know, and I think like he always regretted fucking that relationship up too. By the way, really? I think so. Um, anyway, fucking, you wound up becoming this pillar in this community after having been. You know As bad as it gets At what point Did you Did you feel the? I mean like Did you I guess when you're doing All that fucking recovery Seeking And training You're feeling the change Right You're feeling yourself Become a different person You absolutely are dude And it's I don't know There was like I To be so clear There were like
3: Fucked up relationships And like I'm like So eating is like My number two thing So I've like Gained 50 pounds And then lose 50 pounds And then like So it was all over the place But Like all the time I was just obsessed With recovery and spirituality Like I just became obsessed With religion Spirituality And recovery That was just like What I did And then If you just do that over time You wind up being the guy That's been around a while And to be clear too Like I am part of a group Of people up here That I think is super dynamic You know they're like It's not it's not me. It's like it was Chris and it's Colin and Ryan, Ted, Jan, Mike, Alex. And that's the whole thing about it is that you really can't do it alone. Is that like you need to grow up with a community? Yeah. You know what I
2: mean?
1: And when like, you and when you trace Chris's the end, you know, I mean, I can't believe it. I mean, I guess I can, but the end of his life. You know, he went from that, living with you guys, um, to to get, you know, he finished school online, and he got into that program at William James, and, um, and he moved back to Boston. Were you scared for him?
3: I mean a little bit But at the same time Like I'm not scared About you at all right now You know No I mean me neither Like it's been no. a long time Dude Like four years is a long time That really And it was like Not four years Of like kind of Knowing this guy Like yeah I sponsored him But he also lived in my house For like For those for that period For most of that time And I saw him every day like, Did you
1: know him Did you know him When he was using it all Did you know that Never. part of him Yeah exactly Never. You know I think that's the. I mean whenever I talk To anybody Who was close to that family Then um, you know, they always say, "Well, you didn't know him when he was using," you know, and um, because he was, he did become an asshole right before he died, um, yeah. like a total asshole. Like, I don't know, were you in? How much were you in touch with him at the end of his life? Less. I mean, so it was. If you remember, I mean, the, the
3: rough timeline everyone speculates is that it was pretty quick, right? I mean, we're talking about weeks, not not months.
1: Yeah, like, yeah, I think it was six weeks
3: Yeah, you know. that's like at a max And like, I don't know, I was having a crazy summer that time He had really proven to me, at least That he was capable of dealing with like school and work And, the, and the, the other stuff he was doing for school And the relationship
1: and balancing the family And he would even be coming out here every other week He was working wow. at your house, he was doing dopey every week He was doing school, he was in a serious relationship He had all that stuff going on
3: Yeah, I. so I remember the last... Some of the last, like, deep talks we had, I remember trying to emphasize, like, dude, dude you're not a hero, and you don't need to be a hero. Like, it's got to be... This has got to be a lot for you. Say that again? The, just uh, I, I was just, like... I remember us talking about not feeling like you need to present as some hero.
1: Right. And what would he say? Like,
3: that you taught me the classic. Like, yeah, dude, I know, totally. I need to, like... Do more maintenance on my stuff And like Whatever You know the classic Kind of like In retrospect Like saying what I wanted to hear Yeah But there probably wasn't It's like Looking back on it It's probably more clearly He had a lot of shit going on dude He was like I don't know if he was prepared To go from From going online school From his bed Watching Star Trek To like a really full life dude You know that I mean he had like
2: Yeah When he was living here, he had the luxury to like, to be going to meetings all the time and to be like, just doing basically whatever he wanted,
3: you know? And then, and in a community that, that really accepted him for everything, right?
2: In you know? that
1: community, he could be the weirdo popping in with a pint of ice cream, sitting down watching a TV show, and then wandering off, and nobody giving a fuck what he had done, you know. Totally. Like, yeah. and, and like, and then he went from that to being Brooks Brothers shirts and khaki pants, and working in a school, and 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 being with a woman in Harvard Medical School, and running your program, you know, running your house, coming up to do dopey, you know, like. And planning on being a doctor you know he was yeah. he was convinced that he was going to but I, I think like he separated himself from himself, you know like it was a weird thing that he did um and we 'll never know and obviously um we both love chris like uh like crazy, you know um, I remember after he died um, at the at the whatever that place was. Uh, where they had the week and you you just came right up to me and we had never met you know and it was so crazy like it was just so fucking intense and uh I mean, like, it wasn't even grief. It was just insanity. Like, I couldn't even believe, like, what... You know what I mean? Like, it was... I hadn't been around any... I mean, Todd had just died, so I was fucking crazy. And and Todd was in your house, too. He just showed... He, he, he showed up there because Chris told him to go there. And, um... And, and he, like, begged himself out of that place. And, and, like, you know, his death was, like, this crazy mystery, too, Dylan. Like, you know, they found him naked in his sister's room and there was not even a dope bag around like I, I have a theory about what happened with him that he did the dope in his car threw the bags out on the way inside and died as soon as he got upstairs that's how that's how Todd was he did very little bits but anyway you're, we're talking about these two deaths that railed you and I right back to back um did you blame yourself at all as a, as a sponsor or anything Like did that come into your head Or no You're too smart for Yeah me. I
3: mean Dude Well of course dude I mean you can't like There's this interesting dynamic I had with Chris Where it's like He's exactly my little brother's age Um And like my little brother Who I'm super close I love the kid to death But he like He lives in South America He's a music producer He's like living his life He's always been the perfect kid D one football Like physics degree Um but there's something about Chris that just, like, that I felt super protective over him. And, like, and I think I said it that night, too. Like, my like just so proud of, of him. Because I knew how, like, virulent his strain of addiction was. And I knew that it wasn't easy. And just, like, proud of even who he was when he was fucking up, by the way. Like, just proud of him just as a human. And I just fucking loved him. So, it's hard to pull apart, like... What is just pain of loss And then what is like My fault Of course I replayed like If I had done like This or that Like Then possibly Of course dude But like I mean, we've now, in this epidemic That's worse than, like, the Vietnam War We've all lost, anybody who's, like, listening to us, And you, I'm sure, have lost, like, dozens of people And I wouldn't even be If I took ownership of those, dude, I wouldn't even be here
1: Of course, of course It's not even a fair question It's more like Well, you and I had that conversation You know, I want to say four weeks before he died You know, like, you uh, called Ryan called me I called you, because Todd had just died and, 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 like, we're, like preparing for what we have to do and then Chris being who he was he talked us out of it you know but it's nuts Um, and I'm really 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 glad that um, you came on the show you know like we could go on forever about this kind of stuff but the truth is like you um, you know you obviously have a ton of people uh, that depend on you in Massachusetts you have these businesses that are like you know that exists because you you think in terms of entrepreneurship, but they're really about feeding back into the community, and um, it's amazing. And I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing this story. Uh, it's just it's crazy, you know, isn't it crazy? What a crazy story! It's so crazy. Man. This has been like uh, like therapeutics also has
3: it yeah for sure man it's like cathartic I don't know there's some like there's there's some real shit about grief work that I think that our generation of people that are recovered need to pay attention to And, and like talking about it never hurts man so
1: that's funny too I remember when when Chris and I started the show I think it was in the first episode we were talking about recovery and Chris said Chris said dare I say I'm recovered you know And I said, and I said, you're not recovered. Um, And uh, it was funny, but like, you know, like I I still like I feel recovered, but I could never say it because it scares me. You know, yeah, yeah. I I can't believe like that story, and then I think about Dopey and the growth of Dopey, and I'm very proud. You know, and uh, and I'm very proud to share. your story with Dopey because we would never have done it without your story. Isn't that weird? Uh, yeah, I guess you can see it that way.
3: Yeah man, thanks. No, I'm I'm proud of you too and I'm still I'm still proud of Chris's like legacy and the fact that it's really endearing to me that it that it lives on in this way and it Seven months later, eight months later, or whatever, we're still talking about him, you know, and people are still remembering and thinking about him. It means a lot to me.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, there are people all over the world that love him. You know, there are people. I mean, you heard that when we went to the the funeral, the the priest said that he had never had such a response internationally because Chris was that. Um, he was so fucking endearing and smart and funny, you know. And uh, yeah. he, and it's like I'm super um, psyched that uh, that I got to do this with him and that he gave me the gift of what I always wanted to do. You want to hear some, some stupid shit? Um, I'm going to do this. You know, this episode went way longer than I intended, but who cares? Um, there's this guy uh, in Massachusetts, and I always mispronounce this. He calls himself, is it Worcester? What's the part of Massachusetts? Yeah, Wusta So there's a guy He calls himself Wusta And he made these uh, Segments for Dopey Called Chopped and Screwed uh, Where he took like The best stuff You know, supposedly The best stuff that me and Chris would say And he would cut it into a thing, right? Oh. So I'm gonna play one of the segments And this is it, it's, it's very It's borderline very homophobic And he called it The gayest episode ever Um <laughs> So I'm going to play that now. I want to thank you for coming on. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, dude. All right, I'm going to play it. And you'll hear a lot of Krista. I hope you can handle it. Can you handle it? Yeah, thank you. Okay, hold on. But before I even play it, I want to say uh, That me and Chris were just stupid I love gay people And I apologize ahead of time For anything that could be perceived As homophobic When we did the This American Life piece The woman was like, you know your show Is all fucked up and misogynistic And homophobic and racist, right? And I was like, what? She she, She was like, it's not a politically correct show Your show is not woke And um Which hurt? I didn't even realize. Did you realize that dopey was so uh, hurtful to people?
3: No, but I hadn't heard that. Maybe I I don't know. I'm usually pretty aware.
1: Yeah, this. So I'm going to warn you. This is this is a borderline homophobic tape, and I don't know why I'm playing the homophobic one with you, but what the fuck? It's just happened this way. I hope you can forgive me. You ready? Worcester. Worcester. From Worcester, yeah, thank Worcester. you. Hold on. If anybody out there in the Dopey Nation is good at, like, cutting <laughs> up anybody. audio, uh, why don't you hit us up? We will hand over the Dopey archives to you, and we can you can create a little audio collage. What? You want to do something with those one-liners? So this is, like, a chopped and screwed episode. So we'll call it the chopped and screwed episode. <laughs> (laughs) just so if anybody's wondering i'm totally hetero i'm not a manscaper what were you saying about your dick and i'm quite happy With my penis size, it just could use a little bit more girth. I took out my flaccid penis and was insecure that it was small. Shrinking penis syndrome panic. And one time, I was putting the cigarette out and I burned my penis. Oh wow! Have you ever burned your penis? No. Imagine like somebody who tortures somebody by putting cigarettes out on somebody's penis. Next thing you know, you're you're, you're, like, what are you stooping the hooper? What is the thing? (laughs) Hooping the shooter. Hooping the shooter. And in jail, and everything is. Just thinking the shooter, Dopey Nation is sticking a syringe up your butt when your toilets don't flush in prison. Did you ever pierce your anus with the sharp end of the needle? I never did. Yeah, I used a needle in jail. Up many a men's butts. This dopey nation is going to be the butthole drugs episode. To me, the second you're mayonnaising your asshole to get the dope in there, it's like. Uh, it well, you it, with the- a rectal applicator, it says it's a po. It's designed. Okay, what your- about the fucking Toothy Magoo, Tony Baloney? Yeah, he comes by and he says... Toothy Magoo. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this character, Tony Baloney? Because I don't want to stick thing. My butt. I mean, what's worse, being the, the blowjob craftsman or being the anal rapee? I mean, which is the worst trauma? Probably getting fucking slammed in the butt. Can I tell me? After Get fucked to ass. Is your ass <laughs> sore? Oh, no, the Canadian homosexuals are going to get upset. Oh, my God. What are we going to do? Carnese. Who cares? Yeah, I'm worried that there's going to be some random person out there that doesn't like me. Was that the most homophobic pro, thing I've ever said pro, on Dovey? You're profiling. Paolo? Out of all the gay people we've had on the show, you're going to say something like this? What gay people? We've had some gays. That's not the point. I wish I was gay. I wish I was gay. At one point in my addiction, I hoped I was gay. Would you say that was the gayest time of your life? My shots were big and black. What a horrible thing that was. Tell me more about those big black shots. They were like 12 inches long and yay thick. They could do some damage. Big balls lee. 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 The big balls lee. 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 Tyler and me. Hold your balls up, let your balls drop and hold your dick. Let your dick drop. Turn around, squat, cough. It's about your daddy's dick. In that night, I probably jerked off nine or ten times. In front of him. In front of him. He's just and he's doing the same thing. And he's doing the same thing. And it was so bad the next day that my dick was like raw and Like bleeding, you know, like bubble blood through the skin because I had literally worn off so much skin. You're like the biggest tease in skinhead gay history. (laughs) Squirt.org, the hottest gay pickup app in the world. So hot, it's not in the app store. And it's called Titty Meat. How's that for synchronicity? That's a little bit better than Squirt. And I want to give a big shout out to our gay Asian listener, Brian Chang. Brian Chang, Chang, Chang. Remember the cat shit guy you asked to suck my dick? Nipple clamps. Oh my god. Chris is so adorable. I'm totally crushing for him. Oh my god. No flirting, no fucking, no fruiting, no fixing, and no fighting. I would just like it if fruiting was somehow a homophobic sex term rather than picking fruit. Dude did you hear tit face this is, this is love it but I just like the thing it's from tit face yeah. that's like I said it's like when you get fucked really hard and you enjoy it have that ever happened to you before uh that I've gotten fucked and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. enjoyed it yeah no. Also, also, Jason, this was yes. easily gayer than the gayest Dopey episode, yeah. so congratulations. All right. dude, dude, even gayer than that, say toodles. That's the gayest toodles. thing in the world. All right, guys. Toodles. So what'd you think, Don? It's pretty bad, right? <laughs> oh, man, dude. It's like you have to like I apologize to anybody who is offended by that. It's more of a testimony to me and mine and Chris's idiocy than our homophobia. And like and I would never have put this thing together. We have to blame Wusta. But um it is it is and also the part where I say the thing about anal rape, it's because Chris it was actually me and Linda had just bought this house and we hadn't moved any furniture into it. And, uh, and me and Chris hadn't recorded in a while It was actually right when Chris and Annie Had come back from Anguilla after that probable injury, right? Yeah. He had just come home, and we hadn't recorded. We had run out of shows, and and, I, and we had, me and Linda had just had the baby. We had an infant, and we had just bought this house, and Chris drove uh, to the house to record, and it was me and him in the house with no furniture, and we set up the computer to record on the floor in our living room, and we're lying on the floor, and he says to me, He says, if you had to either get raped uh, with anal sex or give a blowjob until the guy comes, which would you do? You know, and that was that whole conversation you know and i and i, I didn 't realize that it would become this spun out homophobic story, but I have to say that when we were recording that we recorded three episodes, I think that night, and it was like it was the last time I hung out with Chris where he wasn 't high and or if he was. He was in that really euphoric place. We just had like the best time. We drove around my town looking for dark chocolate and we couldn't find it. And we recorded a bunch of episodes and it was just like, it was a really, really beautiful time. You know? And that's why I love that stupid, gayer than the gayest, dopey, wooster bit because it reminds me of that.
3: Dude, I get it, man.
1: I get it. I hope it didn't offend you. It did not offend me. And I apologize to anybody out there that was offended. Um, but Dylan, before you go, I'm going to read you um, a, um, a review. We'll call it the Dopey Review of the Week. And it says, helpful for those who love addicts too. I've been listening, and this is by Marf uh, Meming And it was written I don't know Yesterday Or two day, Yesterday And he said He gives five stars And he says I've been listening to this Every day As I catch up Each episode Gives me some bit of insight Into what my husband May have been going through Though not an addict myself Hearing people's stories Of their dark times As well as recovery Makes me feel not alone As we struggle through this together I cried hard During Chris's last episodes Because I truly feel felt i knew him by spending so much time with his story dave i am so pleased with how you are carrying it on and the podcast is growing my husband wrote with you when he was still in his secretive phase okay he wrote an email and i am forever grateful for you and chris isn't that beautiful mm-hmm. Dave, that's so awesome man and that's um
2: that's real
1: yeah and, and and if you guys don 't remember Dylan came on the show a long time ago when we mean me and Chris were actually at a hotel when you called in the first time, but the second time it was after Chris died and you read you wrote a, an amazing eulogy to Chris and you read it on the show and it really affected a lot of people um, and I appreciate that you know and I know that. You were of great service to Chris's family And I know how much they love you And I know how much service you were of to Chris And like You know I, I really appreciate that And I appreciate you coming on the show I really yeah, do Dave, I
3: appreciate your, your support of him too And your letting out that side of him That needed to come out with Dopey I appreciate that
1: I appreciate that too I think we should end on that note And uh, and we'll say uh, stay strong Dopey Nation And fucking toodles for Chris I want to say goodbye? Cheers. You said toodles for Chris? What did you think of toodles before we go? Did you and like I it?
3: it Cuz it pissed you off and it was like it was so clear that it wasn't Chris's thing other than like annoying you. I think am I right
1: in that? I don't know. Like I think he I think when he found out that it annoyed me, it was like the greatest thing that could have ever happened for him.
3: Yeah. And that's who he is. that's, that's his thing. That's his deal.
1: Yeah. All right Dylan, Thanks man. I really appreciate you coming on. All
3: right man. Love
1: you
0: guys. Love you too. Later, Later I wanna take a walk around the world I wonder would it do me any good Until I get some money in my pocket Then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood But I wanna be good so bad I wanna be so good So bad so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And I wanna take a ride up in the sky Watch this aeroplane just pass me by And I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I wanna be good so bad Wanna be so good so bad so bad I wanna Desires all I ever had, and my shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's high noon where I stand. Shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's high noon where I stand. And I wonder would they pay it any mind when I leave this busted city far behind? I'll take the high road however far it winds Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I want to be good, so bad want to be good, so bad, so bad I want to be good, so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever It's all I ever had. And these suckers make me mad. And I want to call my dad. It's all I ever had.